Who here enjoys science at school, if you're at school at the moment, or enjoyed science when you were at school? Hands up. Actually, quite... Oh, wow. Quite a few people. I I see Christopher certainly did. Um, I think some of you went on to do it professionally. That that picture up there is very, very reminiscent indeed for me. Um, I was at school in the mid... Started school in the mid-1980s, at secondary school, and the laboratory there is almost exactly like the laboratory that I went into uh, as an 11-year-old, which hadn't changed since the 1950s. And actually, the teacher who had me had literally been teaching since the 1950s. Um, And and it was his last year. And he was the most brutal individual and really put me off science, I have to say, in my first year at secondary school. Fortunately, there was a a happy ending because um, the teacher I had in my second year uh, was a Christian, and he um, he taught bio- biology in a really interesting way. And I did actually go on to study at GCSE, but I then gave it up as swiftly as I could. Um, I decided I was very much more on the art side, but I went on to study law. But the interesting thing about science is that actually science and law are in many ways quite similar because they're based on sort of logical processes, very much on evidence. So I've always had a sort of... In- continuing interest in science. But the topic today is has science itself explained away God? Because the amazing thing about science, if you think about it, in those actually those 30 years since I started studying science in the late 80s, scientific knowledge has doubled. Literally, the amount of knowledge that has been acquired has doubled in the last 30 years. And we can do things in different parts of science now. We know things that we've never known before. So, for example, we know what happens a few few seconds, a few milliseconds after the Big Bang. There's pretty good evidence for what happened in the universe. In chemistry, we we can do things with molecules that we've, we've just never been able to do before. In biology, we understand living cells in a way that's unprecedented in history and we can map the human genome absolutely incredible if you look at all the achievements of human beings what's been achieved in science is truly remarkable and actually often these days scientists themselves are almost seen as being the new high priests of society when scientists come out and talk about matters such as climate change and everything else people listen because scientists have such huge respect Science has expanded in a way that is incredible. Can't actually see that, but uh, I'll tell you what it says. It says, do we need a creator? Because actually with all this sum of knowledge, it's almost got to the point now where there are certain scientists who are saying, we've explained everything. We don't need there to be a creator. And yet over the last few weeks, months or so, We've been studying Genesis. Genesis, which talks about there being a creator who speaks things into being from the beginning of time. Has science got to the point now where it has actually explained away God? And that's the question that we're going to be asking today. Now, the interesting thing about science is that... um, there's sometimes a flaw in our understanding of what science does. 
You see, science itself is supposed to observe a repeatable phenomenon and through experimentation to understand how it happens. And the moment that science starts to ask questions about why something happens, it starts to stray beyond its bounds. So I put up an image here of Anna's cakes. Now, a number of you will know, most of you will know in fact, that Anna, my wife, is a very talented baker. And she in fact has her own little business called Anna's Cakes. She couldn't think of anything more original than Anna's Cakes. And here are three recent examples of cakes that she's made. Uh, in fact, the one on the left is the most recent one, the one that she did last weekend. And two of, the, two of the others have actually been for people in this congregation. You've got a Liverpool cake in the middle, and you've got a Happy Birthday Oliver, which is a, a property-inspired cake on the right. They're all beautiful creations. But actually, if you look at the how, if you look at the scientific explanation of cake, it's pretty much the same every time you see it. Essentially, there's an amazing thing that happens when you combine the eggs and the flour and the sugar. You create this beautiful combination. Now, Anna would say she does it in a particular way, scientifically, that makes it taste better than anyone else's cake. It's only for you to judge. But in terms of why Anna makes those cakes, well, that's a different question, isn't it? Why, for example, would she make a cake with a Liverpool crest on it? Why would she make a cake to celebrate someone's particular birthday? Why would she do the one on the right, which is about property? That's a, much, that's a very different question to observing how it's made. Another example, a boiling kettle. Now, I can confidently predict in probably half an hour, 40 minutes' time, there will be some kind of urn or kettle that will get boiled somewhere within these premises. Now, I'm sure if I brought up a, a cleverer person than me, than me, they could tell you exactly how that water is boiled. It's all to do with, and I'm going to look away from Christopher here now, um, it's to do with Brownian motion and heat equations and everything else uh, that essentially move molecules from one state to the other to go from water to steam. I didn't really pay much attention at school. But you know the, you know the concept. There's, a, there's something that goes on to do it. But that actually still doesn't answer a question, does it? It doesn't answer the question as to why. Why is that water being boiled? simple reason is lots of people would like a cup of tea. That's the reason why it's being done. And there's a difference between the scientific process and the reason as to why it's being done. Because the point about science is that actually science actually really needs to stay neutral. There was a man called Thomas Huxley who very much developed the original theories of Darwin. So as you know, Darwin came up with a theory of evolution. He went on uh, trips around the world and sort of to try and explain in a scientific way as to how um, essentially animals developed or animals developed into humans and birds and so on uh, developed uh, further, further along the line. And Huxley did a lot of work to actually try and develop Darwin's theories. But Huxley said something very interesting. He said, science commits suicide when it adopts a creed. So if science starts to stray into areas where it starts to stray into belief, then it actually starts to undermine itself. Now, some of you will have heard of Thomas Newton. Newton came, or not Thomas Newton, Isaac Newton. Thomas was his lesser-known brother. 
Now, Isaac Newton uh, was from Lincolnshire, and the story goes, I'm not entirely sure whether it's entirely true or not, but let's go with it. He was sitting under a tree one, one uh, autumn afternoon in Lincolnshire, and he got hit on the head by an apple. And he thought, that's a peculiar thing. I wonder how that has happened. And he went and he experimented, and he looked. And he came up with what he thought was the most plausible explanation for why this has happened. It became known as Newton's law, the law of gravity. It was the best explanation for what he observed. But you see, Isaac Newton, as we'll go on to see, was a Christian. He was a believer in God. And he was trying to fit his theories into, well, this overall concept of creation. How did his own theory of gravity fall within this? Because the truth is that science can only go so far. There are a number of questions that science simply can't answer. Or certainly, at the moment, in terms of known things, it can't answer. So, for example, do we live in a single universe? Or do we live in a multiverse? Are there many, many universes circling around? When exactly did life on Earth begin? What causes time to flow in one direction? Have you ever thought about that? Why does time just go forwards? Why does it go backwards like in Back to the Future? And fourthly, what caused the split of one direction? I think it was something to do with Zayn Malik, but actually that's a, anyway, that's, that's a separate matter. Now, it's a fairly well-known theory in science which talks about the standard model in physics. And the standard model which tries to understand the interrelations of particles and looks at the various laws of electromagnetism and the weak and the strong and so on. Under the standard model in the universe, actually, did you know that only 5% of the mass-energy content of the universe can at the moment be described? So... In terms of how science has got so far, there's 95% of the universe that they can't even explain how the mass-energy content exists. So the truth is, there is a limitation, not only in the scientific method, in terms of actually observing the how, but also in actually the known knowledge that there is about the universe, about the Earth. Science recognises there is only, even though with a massive expansion it's done, there is still a vast amount of unknown. And the truth is, is that science can answer lots of how questions, but it really struggles with the why questions. So the first point today, we actually need to understand the limits of science. We need to understand that science itself can only go so far. So this very question that somehow science has explained away God is impossible by definition because science itself can only really deal with the how and it can't explain everything. There are th certain things that it will never, ever be able to explain. So then we move on to belief. Now, there are three categories of belief. And to demonstrate this, I have with me an ornament. We say it's not an ornament that would be adorned anywhere in our garden, I might say. 
Now, if you look at this, um, this, this, this first of all demonstrates the, the three different things about belief. Now, the first one is one that can be established by empirical observation. Now, I look at this, and I realise, actually, this is a garden gnome. I think everyone would agree with that. This is a garden gnome. Um, yes, definitely a garden gnome. Right. So that's the, there, there we are, empirical observation. No question about that at all. Now, the next one's a bit more difficult, because belief is something that can be established by logical deduction. Now, this garden gnome appeared in my house in August, right? If I just tell you a little bit of the background to this. About 20 years ago, um, there was a group of us who, li who lived in Birmingham, as fairly young professionals, and we used to play pranks on one another quite a lot. There was a, there was a box of about 20 or 30 garden gnomes, and every time that anyone got married or moved into a new house or whatever, um, their house would be gnomed. So somebody would get the keys, would go in, and garden gnomes would appear all over the house. And there used to be a challenge to get it in the most obscure location. I think the best one I ever heard was somebody who emptied a complete jar of rice, placed the garden gnome in the, in the rice, and then filled it up. And the poor people found about five months later a garden gnome in the middle of their rice. Now... The garden gnomes just sort of disappeared, dissipated over the years. But there was a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, who went off to become a missionary in France, and it was suspected that he took some of the garden gnomes with him. Anyway, he came to visit us in August of this year. And two weeks after uh, he'd left, uh, I went up to find a bottle of wine in our wine rack, and I reached out, expected to find a, a nice bottle of red French wine, and instead there was a garden gnome there. Now, by logical deduction, I came to the conclusion that it could have only been left by my friend Peter, who had visited from France, because there definitely wasn't a garden gnome there before. So there we have garden gnome empirical observation by logical deduction. But here's the interesting question. Was this garden gnome in question, sitting at a table at the bottom of my garden with a knife and fork, the, 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 the night that Anna and I got back, having got newly married? Now, I know I can testify to the fact that there were a number of garden gnomes in the house that night, but was this particular one there? That cannot be proven in any way at all. I cannot prove that this garden gnome was one of the few that was there, because there were many garden gnomes, believe me, in circulation. And then we have the three categories of belief. Things that be, can be established by empirical observation, things that can be established by logical deduction, and then finally the things that cannot be proved in either of the above categories. So why is belief important? Well, if we go to the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights, quite a famous declaration, it says this, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They're endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brother and sisterhood. Very famous, and lots of people would probably agree with it. But the truth is, there is actually no scientific basis at all for that Declaration of Human Rights. None. Science itself doesn't say whether Marxism is better or fascism is better or socialism is better or capitalism is better. And yet most people would actually argue that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is actually A, right, and B, very important. So what it points to the fact is that actually belief is something that is very important. And Terry Eagleton, 
who was a sort of well-known Christian and and a Marxist, actually said this. He said, we hold many beliefs that have no rational or unimpeachable justification, yet are reasonable to entertain. And here we have bits where actually science and belief start to come together. Now, you've probably heard of this individual here, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is a scientist, and he's probably one of the most famous atheists in the world. And he's, he's one of those uh, scientists as well who started to challenge whether God actually exists at all. And Dawkins has famously said, atheists have no faith. Now, Dawkins has written a number of books on the subject, including one famously called The God Delusion. And these books are about Dawkins's beliefs. Dawkins's belief is that there is no God. So you can already see the logical inconsistency here with Dawkins saying atheists have no faith. By definition, Mr. Dawkins has to have faith in his own theory. Now, you may have come across this fellow as well. He used to be a fairly regular speaker at Mighton Church, but he also happens himself to be a world-renowned scientist. And he's a Christian. John Lennox. And he said, either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter, or there is a creator. It is strange that some people claim that it is their intelligence that leads them to prefer the first to the second. You see, both Dawkins and Lennox actually say that as scientists, it's necessary actually to have beliefs to understand science in which they operate. Beliefs are actually really important. Beliefs are necessary. So we're left with the first two points. Firstly, that science is by its definition limited. It actually doesn't... It shouldn't go beyond a certain bounds, and it can't go beyond certain bounds. But secondly, the beliefs themselves are in fact necessary. So we go back to Isaac Newton. Now Isaac Newton um, talked about, um, when he talked about his theories, he said, don't doubt the creator, because it is inconceivable that accidents alone could be the controller of the universe. Now, there are some scientists who recently have started to challenge it, because the interesting thing is the early scientists, almost all of them, came from a Christian worldview. They believed that actually you started with the principle that there was a creative force in the universe, and then you moved to understand how science fitted within that. But interestingly enough, there are, there are scientists more recently in Stephen Hawking, who died last year, is probably one of the more well-known of those. He's actually come out to say, no, actually, God did not create the universe. Now, Stephen Hawking has done huge amounts of research into black holes and everything else, and he's, he's come up with a conclusion from a sort of reductionist point of view that actually once you take everything down, there is nothing there. There's nothing there at all. And yet, and yet, Hawking says this. Religion is just a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. He's got to the point where he doesn't think there is any space for God at all. 
And I rather like John Lennox's riposte to that. He said, Atheism is just a fairy story for those afraid of the light. Because actually, in truth, atheism itself, i.e. the belief that there is no God, actually does take quite a degree of faith. Now, you might have heard of this fellow. He wasn't a stupid fellow. Albert Einstein. Now, Albert Einstein made a very, very interesting point. He said that science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. You see, Einstein's point was, actually, both science and religion, or belief in God, actually have to appreciate one another. They actually have to sit together to have a true and proper understanding. Because if you just proceeded as a scientist without having some kind of overall belief system, science was pretty lame, actually. You were just observing things. But equally, if you just blindly believed, blindly had faith, without looking at the world around you at all, that was pretty blind as well. The two needed to work together. And the interesting thing is, and we, and we come to Christianity here, is that actually Christianity itself is evidence-based. Look at John 20, 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, by believing in Jesus Christ, by believing in the God of the Bible, we're not encouraged just to have a blind faith at all. No, far from it. God came down through his Son and revealed himself to us. We're actually believing in someone who came down as a real person. So how do we get from Newton, who believed in an overall uh, God, creator God, to Hawking, who believes in nothing at all? Well, actually, there are a few, a, a few different reasons as to why that is. Firstly, this concept, actually, it's, there's a false logic here. Because laws themselves are not creative, and I speak as a lawyer here. Laws don't create anything at all. The law of gravity is, is just a law. It does, doesn't cause gravity to happen. And as uh, it was sung in The Sound of Music, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Something has to come from something. And also, as well, when you talk about faith, it doesn't just denote blind faith. So there's the first one, false logic. Secondly, actually false ideas about God. Because much of the world out there, when you talk about God, they think about some kind of Greek God sitting on a cloud. They don't actually think about God as being a God of the all. Actually God beginning there at the beginning of time. First words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and just the bits that we understand. God created everything. That was the point. And, and, the, and too much of the problems about scientists who seek to come and try and say that there is no God at all, they seek to just... It becomes God of the gaps, the bits that we just don't understand. And then false ideas about 
scientific explanation. The limitations of science and this idea that reductionism destroys meaning. Arno Penzias said something very interesting. He said, astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing and delicately balanced to provide exactly the conditions required to support life. In the absence of an absurdly improbable accident, the observations of modern science seem to suggest an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. And it leads us to this conclusion. Actually, we need to believe in a creator to truly understand science. Because to do so without it, to do so in a vacuum, actually limits our true understanding of science. So the three points today. Firstly, we need to understand the limits of science. Secondly, actually beliefs are necessary. And thirdly, we need to believe in a creator to truly understand science. So you might say, well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us today? Now, there was a film that came out recently. And if you're under the age of 15, you shouldn't have seen this film. I must confess that I haven't myself seen it. There's a film called The Joker. Now, this film itself actually has created lots of, quite a lot of critical reaction because it's broken the rules of Hollywood. See, the general rule of Hollywood is that films generally must have a good ending. There must be some kind of outcome to it. And this film actually broke the rules because actually this film is quite nihilistic. Actually, without spoiling it too much for you if you haven't seen it yet... Um, it's, it, it, it's a pretty miserable watch in many ways. It's, it's, it's the portrait of a character where uh, things go wrong in, the, in their life and they never really ever resolve. And one of the reasons why the critics have been so angry about this film is because in many ways this film is holding up a mirror to atheism taken to its extreme. But actually, if there really is no God at all, if there really is no point at all in what we have and where, what we exist as, then it's, it's, it's black. It's nihilistic. It's, it's depressing. And holding up that mirror, society doesn't like that mirror being held up to it. So in truth, actually, atheism itself, would you believe, is on the wane. Most people in society today well, I say there are very few in society today who would really claim to be out-and-out atheists. So you say, well, if that's the case, where are they all today? Where are all these people who are no longer atheists? Well, the truth is, and we probably know this, the vast majority of people are probably what you would call agnostic. In other words, they are people who, who, who don't believe but are, are perhaps open to believing at some point. So that puts actually in three categories of people. There are those who believe in God, there are those who definitely don't believe there is a God, and then there's this big mass of people in the middle who are agnostic. Now, the truth is, only... Well, I say the truth is, one of these groups are definitely going to be wrong at the end of time. And which group do you think that's going to be? Oliver? 
No? <laughs> Have another guess. <laughs> the agnostics. Because the truth is, there either is a God or there isn't a God. And the challenge to you today to say, well, actually, is we here believe that indeed there is a God. And that God was revealed to us by Jesus himself in the Bible. Because did you know that actually, um, of all the studies being done into human thriving, do you know what the one single thing is that is the, is the common denominator in, in human thriving? It's a consistent, loving relationship with a person. That, 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 that is something that will, at any study on any level, has generally proven that human success is where you have that that, that consistency. But at the start of life, continuing in life, that's a key thing. And what Christianity offers is a relationship, not just with a, a normal person, but a relationship with none other than the God of the universe, as revealed through his son, who came down 2,000 years ago and died for each of us on the cross. And the, the, and the offer is there that, that actually you don't just become somebody who sort of follows them, but actually you can become a disciple. You can follow in the teachings of that person. And the promise is that actually if you, because the problem is so often is that you talk about religion, you talk about religion, and the world reacts against it. Because actually religion is not a good thing in itself. What does religion say? You can do this and you can do that and you can do the other and somehow you'll get to God and, you'll be, and God will be pleased with you. But actually that's not what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches is that there's nothing we can do by ourselves on our own strength. There's nothing. Because however hard we try, our efforts will never ever be enough because of the things that block us away from God, our sin. Now what, what Christianity says, what the message of Jesus Christ says, is that all you have to do is come to him and accept that you can do nothing by yourself. Accept that message of forgiveness that comes from his death on the cross. And through grace you will be restored to God. That is the privilege of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So really, agnosticism not sure whether you believe or not, which might suit society a lot today, is not really a choice at all. Because it will be wrong. There's no question about it. It will be wrong. And really, so you're left with a stark choice in life today. Do you follow this promise here? Do you follow Jesus Christ as revealed, the Son of God? Or do you go back to the nihilism that's exhibited in the films like The Joker? And actually, when you look at atheism it's in its starkest nature, uh, that's what you are left with. And that's the challenge for us today. The great scientists, um, I think probably 60% of Nobel Prize winning scientists between 1900 and 2000, actually were Christians. Because they found that in order for them to understand their work through the universe, they had to fit it within a bigger picture. And we have that revealed to us today in the Bible. Jesus Christ came from God. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for the fact that you created the universe. Thank you for the fact that you created the world and everything in it, and you saw it was perfect. Thank you for the fact that, notwithstanding the sin that came into the world, the fact that man rejected you, we see throughout the Old Testament your redemptive purposes being coming to, coming to the fore, and then reaching their culmination in Jesus Christ, your Son, going to the cross for each one of us. That perfect redemption for each one of us. Just pray, Lord, for anyone here today who has ne- who's never grasped the truth of that, that actually they will be challenged enough to think, yes, I do actually want to make that decision, that step in my life. I want to believe in this. I want to... I want to exist in all the goodness and all the glories of becoming a a true child of you. We thank you for the fact that you were willing to do this for each one of us who, who, who choose to approach you and seek that forgiveness. And we pray that it, it, as we go out from here today, that we'd be inspired in our own lives to want to tell others about these wonderful truths. And not be swayed by the lies of the world, but rather to look at the beautiful truth of your gospel. Amen.